the US obviously has a very large, uh, you know, borrowing. I think estimated around 30 trillion, more than 30 trillion dollars. And for a country which is developed, it's also, by the way, adding to that debt quite uh, rapidly. But what happened over the last year, like the year ending FY23, is that their fiscal deficit came out to be $2 trillion. And its first estimate, made in May 22, was only $1 trillion. In China, what they did, they gave a lot of debt. So it was, in a way, uh, socialized losses and privatized gains. Mm. So what they did was gave very low interest rates to savers, 2%, lent money at very low cost of capital to a lot of companies. The companies that succeeded, as we discussed on leverage, if it works, it works beautifully. So in very short space of time, they had hundreds of billions. Right. But if the loan doesn't work, then the losses are absorbed by the banks and in a way by deposits. The problem I think they are also into is that this is, contrary to theory, a pro-cyclical fiscal deficit. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Dialogue by Access Bank. Continuing last week's discussion, we chat about debt in the global context. Uh, in this episode, we will look at how various countries have uh, looked at their own debt positions and what it implies for them as well as for the global economy. Join me in this conversation with Dilkan Mishra. Move a little bit to cover the rest of the world as well. Let's start with the US. Uh, the US obviously has a very large uh, uh, you know, borrowing. Uh, I think estimated around 30 trillion, more than 30 trillion dollars. Uh, and for a country which is developed, uh, it's also by the way adding to that debt quite, quite uh, rapidly. So, two questions. One, what's happening? Uh, and B, uh, is US a special case given given that, like, do, don't loss of economic supply to them, given that they are the reserve currency of the world, or is it something else happening? See, the US, uh, after 2008-9, I think in a, one of our earlier episodes, we have discussed this, they had adopted a uh, uh, tight fiscal, loose monetary approach, right? So okay. you can manage economic cycles by uh, reducing interest rates uh, if you're in a downturn or increasing fiscal spending. So what they decided, because they had spent, I mean, they, they had used a lot of their tax dollars to recapitalize banks in 2008-9, uh, they decided to tighten fiscally and have very easy monetary conditions. But they didn't, they, they realized that it didn't work. It, or it worked too slowly. So it took seven and a half years for unemployment to normalize and all that. So this time they've gone into a loose fiscal tight monetary approach. So they've raised interest rates, they're doing quantitative tightening and they're keeping the fiscal deficit elevated. Now, their intent was to give a large fiscal stimulus, which is what they gave in 2021-21, and then quickly bring it down. Because but what happened over the last year, like the year ending FY23, is that uh, their their fiscal deficit came out to be two trillion dollars, and its first estimate, made in May 22, was only one trillion dollars. Right. So there was a nearly a one trillion dollar, which is 3.7 percent of GDP, increase in the fiscal deficit of the U.S. in just one year. 
so the total fiscal deficit was 7.5%. And debt held by the public, total debt uh, to GDP for the federal government is about 110%. The debt held by the public is about 100%. 10% is held by the US Federal Reserve, 10% uh, of GDP. And uh, so this 100%, if you use that debt to GDP math that I was earlier talking about, if your deficit ratio is 7.5%, your denominator needs to grow at 7.5% as well. In an economy which is supposed to grow at 2% in real terms, that means 5.5% inflation. Now, that's also unacceptable, which means that over the next decade, this ratio will keep going up. The problem I think they are also into is that this is, uh, uh, contrary to theory, a pro-cyclical fiscal deficit. Right. So, so uh, as we discussed earlier, fiscal deficits are used by governments to manage economic cycles. Oh, yeah. That if there is a downturn, then you increase the fiscal deficit. This government uh, has been having a 7.5% of GDP fiscal deficit with unemployment at a record low of 3.5%. So, if the economy goes into a downturn uh, and a recession, uh, and recessions are quite common uh, over 5-7 years, uh, then uh, your fiscal deficit will expand even more. And there, your denominator doesn't grow, so the debt to GDP starts to grow up even faster. So they are clearly on an unsustainable uh, debt path. Right? So at some point, they will have to get into what, I, what we discussed earlier, which is financial repression. Basically, using the power of the state, the fact that they can define the laws, the rules, they can print money, uh, they will force a lot of losses over a period of time through high inflation uh, on a number of savers. Uh, so, so the US is, I think, in a particularly precarious condition. Uh, why is it that they're not seeing a run, right? So given that the Congressional Budget Office, which does the 10-year projections, is showing that their debt to GDP will be 125. Right. And if you build in last year's slippage, it will be 150. Right. If you build in one or two recessions in there, it will be like 180. That level of debt to GDP is unsustainable. So why are people not running away from your sovereign debt? This is where uh, you know the the fungibility of money, the 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 fact that money is a myth, all of the things we have discussed earlier uh, comes into play. You see, the world needs safe assets, right? And there's not enough gold for uh, in the world to to manage that, right? So the world needs a lot of safe assets. Uh, and what are safe assets? Safe assets are assets that everyone thinks are safe. And there is a, is a very nasty uh, uh, equilibrium there, uh, which if it breaks, it will be very dangerous. For Correct. <laughs> but, but so long as people believe that it is safe, it will be safe. And as the economies grow, the demand for safe assets keeps growing. And whether we like it or not, uh, the US Treasury, uh, the 10-year bond or whatever, the 30-year bond, uh, is is considered a safe asset. So, which is why there is a very natural structural demand for it. So, as the economies grow, the insurance funds, the pension funds, and as they build in their global uh, uh, books, they end up buying some part of that. Uh, central banks would keep buying them. But my sense is that as the world wakes up to the reality that without financial repression, the US will not be able to service this debt, uh, I think we will see a lot of turbulence, but that's that's some time away. Right. So this is just going back to our history of debt conversation. This is a case where, as an example, the largest holdings of U.S. Treasuries are 
Japan, China, uh, Saudi maybe, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, maybe to some extent India as well. Correct. Uh, and particularly if you think of China, India, these are poorer countries. And so here the poor country is uh, financing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's it's actually the reverse of of you know what. No, no, no. It's it's no different from you know us demanding a poor person be. Uh, using deodorant and use starch clothes and iron clothes when uh, you know just to be accepted in a in a in a setting where he or she can earn money. Right. So it's a very bad example, but yes. but it's a very but it it is an appropriate one here because uh, in order to signal to the world that you are safe, you need to you accumulate need to US it. dollars. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Great. Uh, uh, so we move on. Uh, just like we spoke about the US. Also, the other interesting country at this point in time is China, which seems to have its own debt uh, type of issues. And so, uh, again, helpful, uh, Nilkan, to get your perspective on what has happened in China. How did this debt buildup happen, and what's happening right now, and what could, what could. Uh, so the first thing is that um, the sovereign in China, the, the federal government, their debt to GDP is not very high. Right, uh, but. That's also, I mean, at least at, at, at the at first glance, right? Right. Uh, and the reason for that is that it's a very different government structure. So the the barriers between, or the boundaries between where the government ends and the private sector starts, or rather the corporate sector starts, are very diffuse. They're not very clear as they are in India or any other country. So, for example, a lot of the 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 Calibration of how much credit is in the system, how much money in the system is, is done through Chinese uh, sovereign banks, SOE banks, state-owned enterprise banks. Now, it is understood that those banks will not fail because the state will come and protect them. But like in India, you know, if the government issues a bond and so, so a, a bank will not give a loan to someone just because the government is asking them to. Uh, and so, so the, if the government wants a loan to be given, they have to give it themselves and then borrow it from the bank, right? In China's case, they can just tell the bank to do it, right? And so, therefore, the debt to GDP at a central level is understated. In China, there are two big issues. The, the first is uh, at the local government level, which is the local government financing vehicles. Uh, so, what happened after 2008-9, uh, around 2008-9, was when Remember, China's current account surplus was 10% of GDP. Yep. Right. And um, so, so it was an economy which, you know, in 2001, and uh, since they joined the WTO to 2008, had been growing on the basis of exports. Now they found that the US was getting into a very uh, big recession and there was going to be a sustained downturn. Uh, so, how do, what did they do? Uh, and so they decided to uh, build a lot of infrastructure. Now, uh, you cannot control. It's also a very large and complex economy. There's a lot of regional variation and all that. So what they did was they gave a lot of freedom to the provincial governments to build infrastructure. So these were financed through local government financing vehicles. And uh, so a lot of the debt, in fact, uh, there are estimates that I just read a, read a paper that uh, some Chinese scholars have found that this debt is actually 50% higher uh, than what IMF had estimated. So, just local government financing wow. vehicles <laughs> okay. uh, 
actually have 90% or 88 or 90% of GDP worth of debt. Just the local government financing, like local governments. Now, as we discussed earlier, uh, some of this has been used to build infrastructure which is unsustainable or, or is, is perhaps not worth having. So, what happens in this case is that while you are building that bridge to nowhere or that, uh, that visa or immigration center which no one goes to, uh, the building of that creates demand for steel, cement, labor and all that. And so that adds to GDP. But once it is built, then someone has to, if it is not productive, someone has to bear the loss. Correct. Uh, and so the problem by itself is not a high debt to GDP ratio. The problem is that that debt has been taken to build assets which have to be junked. And therefore, some saver has to take a loss. Yep. Now, uh, how do you play this? Uh, and and that's where the uncertainty is. And and this is where, when you have such a high debt to GDP ratio, uh, it can it is usually resolved not by a very cataclysmic fall, which I don't think is likely in China as well, but over a sustained period of low growth. Because the saver is not sure the money is coming. The reason why GDP was sustained was building these bridges to nowhere, which of course cannot be sustained. And therefore, uh, economic growth then falls from 4-5% to 2%. The second big issue in China, uh, and which again is something that uh, I think is starting to get challenged, is uh, actually there is another issue which I come to, but uh, is that when you are starting from a low per capita wealth, it is very difficult to find equity capital. Right? Mm -hmm. So, as you know, there are two types of capital, there is debt capital and there is equity capital. Uh, equity capital has good shock absorptive capacities, meaning that if the, there's a loss in the company, you don't get anything. Correct. Companies goes under, you lose everything. Correct. In debt, you are giving the guarantee that every year I will get whatever X percent interest. Now, in a low per capita wealth economy, the the amount of equity capital is constrained, is limited. Right. Most people are not confident enough to risk their savings into equity capital. Now, which is part of the reason why countries struggle to get out of this low wealth trap. And this, this is a 200 year or 100 year process, which is what happened in the rest of the developed world. In China, what they did was they, uh, they gave a lot of debt. Uh, so it was in a way, uh, socialized losses and privatized gains. Mm. So what they did was they, they gave very low interest rates to savers, 2% they uh, lent money at very low cost of capital to a lot of companies. The companies that succeeded, as we discussed on leverage, if it works, it works beautifully. But in very short space of time, they had hundreds of billionaires. Right. But if the loan doesn't work, then the losses are absorbed by the banks and in a way by depositors. By depositors yeah. so, so that is the model that they have adopted of socialized losses and privatized gains. And that is another reason why I think debt to GDP is high. The third reason why debt to GDP is high is because of real estate. Uh, so that's where mortgages as a percentage of GDP are elevated. Compared to what's there in US in the developed world, it is, that ratio is still low. But that is another reason why, uh, why, the, uh, why the Chinese economy uh, is a bit risky at this stage. Because there are several trillion dollars of payments made by home buyers to developers and the developers run out of money so they can't finish those houses. So, so this is another debt uh, which 
potentially cannot be serviced. And uh, that is, and then on on the the the, the home buyers themselves would have taken mortgages. So there are there are several factors in China, which are the problems. The the, the debt to GDP ratio by itself may not be uh, a big factor. Right. So moving on now, you can, there are there are countries which have faced debt crises. You mentioned many of these: uh, uh, Greece a few years back, uh, Argentina, Russia, Southeast Asian countries, etc. Uh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. So, just talk us through what happens. Like, we, you explained how the debt buildup happened and how they came to a certain level. But then also there is a process that happens once the crisis hits and you know, let's say the country comes back to normalcy. So, what is that process and how does it look like? What happens in that? So, let's take uh, a country which, um, like say, let's take Sri Lanka, right? So, they have. They built these giant port or this giant port, uh, a lot of highways, and the necessary revenue didn't come through. And there were other accidents and other bad policies, and of course the, the civil war and lots of other things. Which uh, their potentials, the, the primary source of income was tourism. That didn't happen. And COVID kind of COVID and all that. So uh, and then that uh, ill-advised move to organic, organic, yeah, organic all that. So all of those things happened. Now, as a result, uh, when it came to make the payment, uh, because see, the, the funding that came for the port or the highways was in the form of debt. Right. Now, if it was a productive port, uh, it, would, it would have uh, you know, generated the income which could have been used to service the debt. But it didn't. And in which case then, uh, how do you find now? So there can be fungibility. So if, if the government had taken that up, government could have used other tax dollars to to service it. But uh, at a country level, the dollars that they were seeing as inflows uh, were far in deficit compared to the dollars that they needed to service these debts. Just not just the interest cost, but also the principal repayment. Uh, so when something like this happens, uh, you then go out and seek recourse from, say, the International Monetary Fund uh, or the World Bank and say that, look, we need a bridge loan. Now, when these organizations then give these bridge loans so that you don't default on any debt, uh, they also demand that, was, how are you going to make it sustainable? Uh, so how are you going to find these dollars? And usually that requires significant restructuring of the economy. So, so what that usually means is that your currency devalues massively, in which case all the imports become expensive. So like if you travel in Sri Lanka, you will realize that uh, fuel costs have just spiraled up. Right? And so people are struggling to drive cars. The subsidy levels are brought down. Uh, uh, you know, 75% of Sri Lankan government expenditure is committed, right? you know, salaries, pensions, interest and all that. There's nothing else to do. Occasionally, it can mean that you force people to take write-downs on their defined pension schemes. Mm. Uh, so, there are some very tough measures that to be undertaken. Uh, in a way, you can think about this as uh, a, 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 an organism that grew too big uh, and then has to be brought down to size. Uh, like, you know, what used to happen in Greece, very famously, that uh, people would retire at 53, 54 and then draw pensions for 30 years after that uh, in very comfortable lives. There was significant tax evasion. 
uh, and people were just not uh, you know contributing to, uh, to, to, to to the sovereign so there was a very forced uh, curtailment of uh, you know government salaries like what's happening in china as well now I and mean, it's not to default but uh, you know uh, as the local governments are running out of funds they are slashing uh, you know the bonuses of uh, of, of government servants and that's also driving consumption down so the, the whole process is that you you keep so suppose you you kept taking on debt you kept building things suddenly then the the project gets over or the projects get over and you realize the income is not coming through and so effectively you are you have to go back to the earlier level and so there is a very painful process of downward adjustment to incomes uh, some of it could be by the devaluation of the currency uh, in which case your ability to buy what is international drops falls down, yeah. falls down. and so you you go through a painful multi-year process of and you know human body human brains are remarkably adaptable so in two three years you know the people's consumption expectation of what is a good quality of life and so on and so forth and if it is if it is uh, uh, if these policies are implemented wisely then the economy like greece is one of the strongest economies in europe yep. now, right so if you if you implement some of these reforms wisely you shed the flab you don't cut the productive assets the politics of this process is managed well then the economy can start rebounding very quickly as well right great so in this case uh, uh, it's a painful process which i guess impacts again a lot of the common uh, folks right uh, the common taxpayers and savers and so on and so forth uh, but it's almost like, I mean, to use another analogy, somebody who's grown very fat and now has to shed a lot of weight so that can yes. become, uh, uh, you know, more more healthier, more productive correct, correct, correct. and then can continue to do better. Uh, fantastic. So now in the context of all this, Nilkant, one final question on the national side, which is, if you take all of this into consideration uh, and you look at the fact that India is rated triple B minus, which is the lowest rung of investment grade yeah. across across uh, rating agencies right mm -hmm. and uh, the us is like even after the downgrades is double a plus and china is uh, e minus i think if i'm not mistaken uh, so what explains this <laughs> i have my personal opinion a simple answer is bias right. but <laughs> but i'm sure the the rating agencies will have a different opinion uh, if i was to put myself in their shoes uh, I actually honestly struggle to understand this. Uh, so even in their shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but I would say that look, the debt to GDP is high. Yeah. So at eighty-two percent, the vulnerability or the risk that you go into one recession suddenly it's at ninety percent, right. and then uh, you very quickly get into a debt spiral is very high. So so that that's something that I think needs to be kept in mind. Second. Uh, the politics in India, and especially if you see a large number of states getting into. So, as we discussed earlier, at the state level, because the deficits are capped, it's always a quality of expenditure problem, never a quantity of expenditure problem. But the risk that if, say, some of these parties were to start implementing these schemes at the central level and become very fiscally profligate, then very quickly your your uh, debt to GDP can just go through the roof. If the if the political uh, platform or the political uh, slogan is redistribution uh, and that uh, you know uh, guaranteeing a certain amount of funds per month and free this and free that free electricity and uh, free bus rides and all of that 
is the is the way to win power, then at least at a fiscal level, uh, sustainability becomes a big issue. So, uh, so while I think that given our rising tax to GDP ratio and our uh, uh, sticking to the commitment of the fiscal consolidation path, as well as uh, very healthy underlying trends in GDP, right? That our nominal GDP growth is going to be in double digits for the for the at least the next three to five years, uh, makes us at least our incrementally our fiscal situation will improve, not worsen. Is is something that I'm I feel quite comfortable about. If I try really hard, perhaps I can see some perspective in keeping our rating so low. But to be honest, I mean, at, at a similar and and if you think of India as an emerging market with a fragile politics and all that, compared to other countries that are emerging markets, our debt to GDP is high. Right. The reason why I think it is less of a risk is because most all of it is domestically funded. So the risk of default is very low. The risk of financial repression to pay it off is is reasonable, but uh, uh, it, perhaps if you use a very you know simple comparison of oh Brazil is at a much lower level or Mexico is at a much lower level and you know, all the emerging markets are much lower levels of debt to GDP, then why should India be at eighty percent and therefore we'll keep India at a lower rating? Perhaps that's the logic being used, but honestly, I, I don't think still that makes sense. Fantastic. Great. Uh, thanks a lot for that conversation, uh, Nilkant. We discussed a range of topics. So, starting with a very interesting historical perspective on debt and how debt actually is a great tool to uh, ensure productive deployment of resources uh, so that the economy as a whole can benefit. Uh, and so, debt, when used in the right amount, can be a very powerful tool. Yes. Uh, when Debt becomes unsustainable is when it becomes a huge problem because debt increases risk, and risk benefits on the upside, and it uh, you know benefits more on the upside, and similarly it hurts more on the on the downside. And so uh, the amount of uh, debt and ensuring that it is sustainable is something that needs to be kept uh, kept into consideration. The second uh, aspect we discussed was the quality of the spends, like what you use for the debt, the debt for, is equally important if you are able to. Uh, borrow so that you can generate more and uh, use it more productivity. It helps the helps you. It helps the economy. So it's positive. So that's another thing we uh, spoke about. Uh, we spoke about India and the how how India's debt to GDP has moved. Also, we spoke about two topical topics. One is uh, OPS versus NPS and how you know that kind of is now a reasonably large contributor to what happens to yes. uh, the deficit. And we also spoke about the situation in the US. And China, both of whom seem to be a little bit kind of in that getting to unsustainable uh, levels, uh, which means that there are likely challenges uh, coming in the future. A great conversation, Nilkan. Thanks a lot. No, no, as thank always. you again. Lovely uh, for catching up for the chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening into this episode of Open Dialogue. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. We are overwhelmed by the response that we've received and really look forward to your comments and feedback. Do like and subscribe to our channel to keep track of new episodes that are coming through. Thank you.